0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 116 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we are in rare air with two Olympic gold medalists with Monty joining in with Will Simpson. This is Debbie Lauks and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month and of course I have my producer coach Jen with me today. Hi Jen. Greetings Debbie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really getting looking looking forward now to seeing you pretty soon I think.
2: Very shortly. Um I just was was recording a show the other day. Uh, as they were talking about having announced the WEG team for eventing, 78 <laughs> days as the day. Oh, we this. countdown! How fun! How fun! Days until. Are you Are you World looking Coast forward Street to it? Games. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be so different. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and a little trepidation too, because uh, the first WEG I attended was in Lexington, Kentucky, in 2010. We lived in Lexington, and we were doing the right. 2010 WEG podcast. So, of course, <laughs> we lived all the buildup, just like we are this time. But we lived it in <laughs> a very personal level. We lived in Lexington, a couple miles away from the horse park, so we got the really? inside <laughs> stuff and all that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. But when it finally happened, it went off pretty darn well. But it was the—I have never been to an Olympics. Um, I've never been to any significant sized international equestrian competition the size where you get spectators cuz most horse competitions mm. in america not a lot mm. of spectators
1: that's true yeah you know mm-hmm. there's
2: there's a lot of shows with a lot of competitors for example quarter horse congress that mm-hmm. thing it's a month long yeah. horse show and there are thousands of competitors mm-hmm. but not a lot of spectators you get a couple you know a 500 or a 1000 or 1500 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even the championship rodeos, you'll fill a small stadium in Vegas, mm-hmm. but the world equestrian games in Lexington, Kentucky, there'd be 30 000 to 50,000 people yeah, on amazing. the grounds. And it was just an electric atmosphere. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this. I want to see if it, it, that happens again because yeah, it was just goosebumps for 16 days.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty hard to do too because you had so much lead up. It could have fallen flat, but but that is a cool description. Well said too because yeah, I I was only there for a, a few days. We went to that same one, and I remember Glenn being there. On um, I don't re- I don't remember if you were on there every time or if you were working in the background, I was oh. working
2: in the background as I still do. I, I was doing guest wrangling at that point. I really uh-huh. didn't um, yeah. do much with the horse radio network at that point yet. Cause I was still work- working um, elsewhere in retail and oh, we gosh. were doing, Oh, that's right. I remember we were doing the shows at that downtown location. Yep. We weren't mm-hmm. at the park. That's right. Um, and I was helping out and Brian was our producer at that time. You probably met Brian there. Probably. And, uh, yeah, that that was really the first time I met you in person, I think, was at WEG, wasn't it?
1: Could have been. It could have been, Jen. I can't remember, but I remember you there. I just don't remember if that was our first time or not. But it was. It was really exciting. And the downtown was kind of cool, too. They had a it was sort of an industrial-type building, I, I guess. I can't remember. And they had footing in there. And Dad set up a demonstration inside there, which mm-hmm. was not the easiest, but it was kind of cool. And, um, yeah, there were, all the booths were in there. I think we were actually sponsored by uh horse racing tv hr tv that's why we were out there for a few days yeah and had him do a demo and got to meet lots of people and yeah it was really exciting and the stadium you're right you're right it was electric it was so cool and we got to see the parade you know the whole um color guard what do they call? i don't know what they call it where all the nations yeah of yeah. nations. That's it. Yeah. So, did you and get to go yes, over and actually
2: watch some stuff going on in the? What it's called the <laughs> Rolex Arena, which is the giant Grand Prix arena in yeah, Kentucky Park, it. which seats when they put up all the extra stands for WEG, I think it sat right around ten thousand people.
1: Yeah, felt like a hundred thousand. Just it was so noisy. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. very very
2: loud. Um, yeah. I was working for a retailer who had a booth at the Ooh. at the games, and I was there. All 16 days, even the days I didn't work, I still had a pass so I could just go and 12. see whatever I wanted to. And the night of the dressage freestyle finals, yes. I was working in the retail booth and we measured it on Google Maps. It was three quarters of a mile from the Rolex Stadium to where <laughs> our booth was located. Oh, my gosh. And we could clearly hear the crowds huh? cheering. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, see, <laughs> I get goosebumps all
2: over again. So, what, whenever That's you cool. went to WEG, expectation versus what you actually experienced. Oh, in 2010.
1: I didn't, I don't know if I knew what to expect. I have to think back on them now, but it was more than whatever I expected. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, I guess I kind of figured it would be like a, like a Congress or something, you know, like mm-hmm. a giant horse show, but. I don't think I got the nationalism part of it enough. I guess I would have thought about that with the Olympics, mm-hmm. but I should, I should have thought about it. It's World Equestrian Games. I mean, it makes sense, but uh, but it was more. It it was definitely more. And and they did such a great job of organizing all of that for, from my standpoint. Anyway, I don't know about from a homeowner standpoint <laughs> in Kentucky. Probably the parking and everything was a nightmare. But we got to see some we, – we visited some friends on some farms around there. So, of course, we got to see some of the thoroughbred farms that were beautiful and – what a great location and everything! I hoped for Tryon that they get, you know, they have their own special place there and style. And yeah. I look forward to meeting the Bellissimo. So I know I've been a big part of that, and they're um, they're supporting the Brook, uh, which we your Dad is an ambassador for, and we we do help support as well, and uh, with our time. And uh, so they're they're nice enough to be bringing us out there to do some demonstrations for them
2: right because they're they're like every wag whether the wag is here in the united states or elsewhere uh the world equestrian games always has amazing shopping venues and demonstrations Mm -hmm. and educational things Mm -hmm. which was one of the things that you participated in in 2010 and now here for the 2018 games you're going to be part you are gonna the uh monty roberts is going to be part of that whole demonstration educational part. So when you buy a ticket to the world equestrian games, you can buy a ticket that just gets you in the front gate to all of that stuff. It doesn't walk you into the arena to watch a competitive venue, but for a very small fee, it's like 20 bucks or something. It's very, mm-hmm. very inexpensive. You can see all that stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. We're still 78 days out as we record. So mm-hmm. it's not all nailed down. All the stuff gets nailed down at the last second. Um, mm-hmm. What they had at the 2010 games, it was, it was easily an entire day's worth of stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. Even if you you're didn't right. watch a competitive right. venue, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know, focus mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you They're haven't shopping. gotten a ticket yet, mm-hmm. check into it. And if you are a good networker, you can find a place to
1: stay. There you go. But it does take a little bit of networking, eh? It, t- it
2: takes networking. It takes a little bit of money, but more importantly it takes a lot of networking. Um, mm. There are so many people who have rented houses through either through Airbnb or through personal contacts or through the official uh, WEG 2018 channels, which can be found over on try. I think it's try on WEG 2018 or something like that. Um, mm. They have official channels, but they rented a big chunk because that's what you can get. And a lot of folks, if you, if you do some networking, you can sublet. It's like, you know, can I rent um, a piece of your floor? for a couple of days. And we did that for for Wagon 2010. We had people sleeping on our couch and people on our carpet, people we hadn't ever met before, but we knew through the Horse Radio Network that we met online and they were listeners and we had gotten to know them. It's like, oh, I'm going to come for these two days. Can I sleep on your floor? Sure. Come sleep on my floor. So uh, that part of it, I think was also really cool because it was a very, very special occasion people saved up their entire vacation budgets to do these things for a oh lot of goodness. people. So that was really cool. And I'm really looking forward to that whole experience of yeah. meeting and watching and talking to people who are doing this because it's so important.
1: Yeah, it is. It is such a great game too. So yeah, good. So maybe we'll meet some people down there.
2: Yeah. Well, well and that's kind of handy because world equestrian games champ world level championships for, five different equestrian disciplines mm-hmm. and it's actually in it's the highest level for all the competitions is the highest level of competition and actually the the olympics are not as high a level as the world equestrian games are so you, it is the best of that's the best. right
1: and three star four star for eventing yes, right that's Isn't right that, yep. and
2: our guest today mm-hmm. multiple world champion mm-hmm. competitors so mm-hmm. uh, yeah let's get right to those guys i want to hear what they have to say
1: Absolutely. And before that, we'll get with Omega Fields, our title sponsor.
2: Championship level omega-3 fatty acids for your horse. That's right. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, Which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horseshine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of Omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horseshine from Omega Fields at your local Tack and Feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com.
1: Will Simpson is an American show jumping competitor and Olympic champion. At the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, China, Simpson won the gold medal as part of the United States team in team jumping, together with McLean Ward, Laura Kraut, and BZ Madden. Quite a team. A native of Peoria, Illinois, Simpson was one of six kids, and his mother shuttled them around to activities growing up. His sister was taking riding lessons, and Will's mom decided to let him sign up as well. Good thing. Simpson's riding career outlasted his sisters and he headed to the East Coast where he worked for Rodney Jenkins and then set out on his own to California. He has been here ever since and Will recently took two of the top three spots in the Temecula Valley National Horse Show on Attention ETZ and Whoop-dee-doo. You love those names. So without further ado, Will Simpson. Well, welcome. We've got Will Simpson and Monty Roberts on the phone. I'm so happy to have you both on the same line together. But I know you were just celebrating this last weekend together. And Will, I understand you had a birthday.
3: Had a birthday.
1: Yep. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Keeping you young keep, they do keep you young. That's for sure. You're an anomaly out there um in how much you're succeeding. And I won't say at your age, because I think you are a young guy. Biologically, I'm not worried about you at all. But we, we heard some good results coming out of the Temecula Valley National Horse Show. And I thought it'd be fun for you to, to catch up uh, on Horsemanship Radio and just tell us a little bit about what's going on and the jumping world, and also just hear two masters have a conversation a little bit about that world and what inspires you guys to keep riding and keep learning from horses. So, um, Dad, Monty, are you there?
0: Yeah, I, I can w- say this. Okay. The Temecula Valley Horse Show um, is one competition whereby Will apparently did fantastic job and and had a very good show you know what that means to me not a whole lot really i mean you can you can get some kid with uh, parents with some money and and uh get some good horses and put them in there and and get over the fences and they can have a good show but i have personally watched will simpson grow and climb and have a learning curve that has been, uh, you know, something to behold. Um, It's not an overnight thing. It's not a good show. It's a good career. And his career is just now turning upward, in my opinion, to the extent that, uh, yeah, he's the next John Whitaker, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. as time progresses. I'm uh, proud to say he was a neighbor of mine for a long time. Uh, in those early stages, uh, before the death of Van Snow, we we became friends through Van Snow, a, a veterinarian um, who is no longer with us. But Will Simpson is a model for young people to sit back and say, you know, these things don't happen overnight. You want to learn this, you take the long grind and you... Log all of your lessons, and then you'll be like Will Simpson. Mm. That's me.
3: Well, that's wow. a huge compliment. A uh, huge compliment coming from you. We did start uh, a few years ago back in the San Inez Valley with Van, a special uh, guy in my life. Uh, taught me a lot about uh, taking some time off to learn from the masters. You know, sometimes we think that uh, the most important thing is getting down the road to the next horse show. But if you can take, it, take your time out and, and, and learn from, from someone that might be from a little bit of a different discipline. But uh, horsemanship is horsemanship. So I had, I had a great uh, friend in Van that encouraged me to learn from the masters as, as, uh, as I was going along. And then we had a horse uh, 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 named Nippur, a chestnut stallion by Damascus that was, that was quite successful a few years ago in the show ring and, uh, that was kind of our start. And then we've evolved over the years through, uh, learning and learning. And as I heard, as I heard you talk about me, I, I was just thinking, boy, that 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 sounds like I've been down the road and, and have accomplished quite a bit, but in my eyes, it's, it's, uh, it's just the beginning. It's just, a, uh, it's just in the infantile stages of, of, of learning about horses. And, and, uh, and the horsemanship, the road to horsemanship is never ending to me. It's just, you keep on learning. And so we well, went you. there and then I was just thinking to recap on the show at, at, uh, at Temecula where we had a good show and I've got a really, uh, couple of exciting horses right now. One that, uh, uh, is a nine-year-old that, uh, I think is as good as any horse I've ever had. And he's, he's a little bit hot and he's a little bit going. He always wants to go, you know, just a fire to to, to go and full speed ahead so it's uh uh it's and other than that he's got all the talent the scope the carefulness the bravery soundness and all those other things so it's just a matter of tapping into that that horsemanship where i can i can be the stabilizing factor in his life and and get him so he learns what the little sport of show jumping entails to not not touch a rail not stop And, uh, and do it in a, in a relatively fast manner. And Mm. then we go from there, but it sure is a lot of fun having a horse like this, uh, at this stage in my career. And, and, uh, I think the sky's the limit. If I can just get him a little bit, uh, a little bit. So he's a little more interested in, uh, in the jumps and not just getting my hands out of his mouth, so to speak, Mm -hmm. getting away from the rider. So that's where we are.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. And I think you'll agree. Will, that my characterization of your career is that uh, Temecula is Temecula. It's one show. What you've done is built a foundation whereby the curve is just turning upward now. And that's what I said, and I mean it. It is the beginning. And I don't mean that you are a a compatriot with John Whitaker, who is uh, 68 years old or something. You are the next generation and your upward curve is gonna be at its apex in another ten years or so. That's how I feel about it.
1: And and that horse was that's attention etz, isn't it, Will? Is that who you were talking about?
3: Attention at ETZ, yeah. Just no. just came on board and that's a that's a great one. And also uh uh Chaco P is mm-hmm. another one. So I got a one two punch right there.
1: You sure do, and you've got Whoop de Doo. Uh, placed third, I think, in Temecula. Am I right?
3: She placed. She placed third in one class, and also one of the most exciting classes I've ever been in. Mm. She placed second. She placed second, uh, and the one that won it was Sophie Simpson, my daughter, Oh, uh, a horse. Right. So
4: it so was. Awesome. A, it was
3: a real special class. Uh, Sophie went 19th out of 36, and then uh, she was. She took the lead by three or four seconds. She was really brilliant. And then I came in about uh, ten horses after that. She was still in the lead, and I went around pretty, pretty good. You know, a little bit of a uh, greener horse, but a uh, horse went around and was jumping fantastic that day. And I, I went around, I gave it my all, and I looked up at the clock, and there it was, second, right behind Sophie. So, that is so it was awesome. just a, a, a fairy tale finish for me, for me, and uh, Sophie really earned it, and, and it was uh, it was a a real special uh, class for me. That's well, am I, there, gonna, am I supposed to say that
0: I'm going? Am I supposed to say that I'm going to be seeing you soon, Will?
3: That would be yeah, sure. We're gonna we're gonna work a little bit on Monday,
2: right?
0: I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I'm so- I'm I'm anxious to see that horse. You told me he was seventeen <laughs> four.
2: <laughs> well, uh,
3: you know he's he's a, he's a tall. He's very tall. He's uh, and everybody that sees him up close when he goes in around the ring, they don't get the, the, the visual that he's a big horse. And then they stand next to him. And they say, wow, he's big. How big is he? <laughs> and I just, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't have a stick in my, in my barn. I, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what the number is. No. Uh, you know, he is what he is. And, and, uh, but uh, but so I just came up with the seventeen four thing just to kind of <laughs> just to kind of have some fun um, with it. But uh, one day we will measure him. But he's he's a tall horse. But what I like about him, you don't you, you don't lose any agility for just because he's tall. And I think that that tall long legs will help him as a jumper. You know, we got to well, him you, a big jump. So
0: when you come up on Monday, you know I've got a stick in my barn. I'm not sure it's ever been out to seventeen four. So it may not even have numbers there. I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, we could always but, figure something out.
0: Yeah. But, uh, you know, discipline or not, like you said, horses are horses. And uh, the birth of these horses comes in, they come into this world with the same behavioral patterns of equus that are now 50 million years old. And whether we want them to jump or we want them to do a dressage routine or run and slide and work a cow, uh, the behavioral patterns are there for us to train. And basically, every horse born is looking for a safe place to be, and they need to be a partner with a human and not an adversary with a human.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit, uh, you know, what I what I try to do when when we're training on a daily basis and try to get the horse comfortable in its own skin in our world, which is a different world. I mean, what we're putting them on airplanes, we're putting them in, you know, trailers taking them different places all the time and different, different stadiums. They have to walk in and the crowd goes wide. They have to, they have to live in our world now these days. And so anything we can do to make them a little more comfortable with that so that we can get a better performance out of them, and have them uh, more relaxed. That, that's a little bit. Mostly what we train. Very very little yeah. do I train how to jump, because basically if I haven't started out with a horse that's naturally good at jumping, I'm 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 kind of barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. So we find a horse that can jump, and then we train it how to be comfortable in this in this environment that we have. Yeah. That's basically, what and my day most of my day is.
0: Mm-hmm. And it is asking a lot of them. I know you'll agree. Um, that they give us so much and they, they try so hard for us if they're the right kind. And uh, will I just ask you, what do you think of this dramatic movement in show jumping to the stopwatch? Um, it's a different thing from when I wrote a few with Don Dodge and Barbara Worth way back in the seventies and sixties. Um, but, seventies and sixties, I wrote in the fifties and late forties for, uh, Don Dodge and Barbara worth. And there was no stopwatch anytime, anywhere. It was all ticks and, and downs and stops, ticks, downs, and stops that, uh, determined the winner. And, um, your industry has moved dramatically to a time frame. What do you, what do you, what is your reaction
3: to that? Yeah, well, initially, um, uh, I, my reaction is very positive. I think uh, for me, I, I enjoy um, the handling the, and, the, and the training of the horse to be able to do it quickly and efficiently. And, uh, and what happened in, in the sport, we kept on getting larger and larger fences. And there's, a, there's an end to how high a horse can jump. Yeah, I mean, basically a group of horses. We have to tell, there's once in a while, there's an individual athlete that can jump a little higher than the others. But the group of horses can only jump so high. And the courses, uh, to me, have gotten with, and also with the invention of the safety cup in the back, the safety cup uh, at 30 pounds of pressure releases. So you don't have horses that are hitting their belly on the jump and then riding into the ground and maybe falling over. So that's that was a big thing. And also also the size of the jump. Basically we're jumping it's a meter fifty five, meter sixty, uh is about the largest we jump in, in in show jumping, which is five foot three, five foot six, somewhere in there. And most all most all horses can jump that. And so you you have a uh, a, a sport where a lot of horses can do it. And then it gets into training. It gets into training. Can you, can you get your horse that you can open him up and, and get a, a big jump and a big performance out of him and then slow him down for the last, maybe the combination that's a little tight. And so you have to have your horse that's responsive and listening to the rider, which is to me, horse training. So the, the speed has taken away, uh, and, and we and the horses last a lot longer now. We don't we're not jumping up huge jumps, which is a lot of concussion on their legs. So a lot less uh, wear and tear on the horse. And and to me, the the better horse trainer that can take a horse and have it go forward, slow down, turn right and turn left a little tighter, and and listen to the rider and be more in in, in tune with the rider. That's the ho- that's the horse rider combination that's rewarded. So I'm, I'm quite happy with the, with the sport leaning toward efficiency and, and uh, against the clock.
0: Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. And as you talk, it sounds as though show jumping has come a lot closer to the discipline that I was most closely connected with, which was reining and working cow horse and cutting. And you have to cut those corners and you have to get it done. And the cow doesn't uh, just go slow. So our horses have to move fast. The spinning and the, you know, the speed of it all uh, was far more than the show jumping was until recently. And now I see show jumpers that would make good reiners. It's just incredible how, how quickly they turn and get to the next fence.
3: Well, that's, that's one of the most exciting things for me about the, the whole horse, horsemanship world, that there's so many things that overlap. You know, years ago, we, we just used basic, uh, a classical dressage for our flat work for jumping. And that's great. There's nothing wrong. I'm not, that, that, that's fantastic. We need uh, a lot of dressage. But then you get into maybe you watch a barrel racer. And what's faster, a, a dressage horse or a barrel racer as far as turning? <laughs> so if we, can, yeah. if we can tap into the dressage, and, the, and, and it's the same thing that's happened in every walk of life. People don't just train the same way in the gym. We've gotten into where we know that there's the best way to train is with muscle confusion and and cross training. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with the horse. So if we can get into doing all these fun things with a horse, roll back on the fence or all kinds of teaching a horse how to turn. You know, a lot of people uh, in the hunter jumper industry, they see a, a, a Western horse, a reigning horse spin and they say, oh, my God, look at that. That's uh. that's only, only quarter horses can do that, yeah,
0: but they yeah. haven't
3: seen, they haven't seen the, uh, the, the steps that go into teaching a horse how to use its body that way, which are basically yeah. all done in, in my opinion, in slow motion. You teach yeah. the horse where the footfall pattern is first, and then slowly you put a little speed to it and the horse knows where to go. And it's a beautiful thing. And yeah. so we can teach horses how to jump like that the same way and mm-hmm. how to turn, uh, Quicker and tighter and and more balanced with less injury. Yeah, so there's yeah, so many fun things to cross train. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm I'm so happy to hear you say these things and it's it's one of my motivations for pressing on the FEI to encourage um, multidisciplines within the trainers. Um, I watched Anki van Grunsven show Rainers to uh, fare thee well. I mean she showed them at class. Levels, and uh, now we I'm seeing quite a few of these kids from dressage that are getting on reiners. Charlotte Bridal, for one, um, she's uh, been working with Rainers, and I, I, I'm in the reining and cutting horse thing. That's where my mind goes, But barrel racing is not unlike that. They have to go fast and they have to turn fast. Um, so the multidiscipline thing to me for the feI, would be so much uh, broader base in the in the foundation of horsemanship that if um, some some of these show jumpers could try a few of these things and uh, maybe increase their knowledge of training horses, that is to say, like you and I are talking, training is training is training, no matter what you're doing, and if we can learn all of the nuances of Equus, uh, we'll just be better for them.
1: Well, I'm curious yeah. what do- what do you like to ride when you're not riding jumpers? What do you, what do you do for fun on a horse? <laughs> uh, well,
3: I mean uh, a lot of people a lot of people would say that on my day, on my daily work that I'm uh, they can't tell whether I'm trying to train a uh, a jumper or a reining horse. <laughs> uh-huh. A lot of, uh-huh. a lot of turns, a lot of turns and a lot of uh, I I ride probably 50% of the time with split reins. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a rare thing in the hunter jumper industry, but I just find that there's so many things you can do with, uh, with the, uh, with the rain with the split rain that you can't with a normal rain yeah. for flat work and everything. So, uh, uh, do that. And, and, uh, I've been known to, I've been known to turn a cow into the fence a little bit here and there. <laughs> okay <laughs> for fun for fun for kids. you did and uh, it's amazing amazing feeling uh feeling horses you know that that have cow in them that uh that can do that sport and that that, that know about that sport and can handle that sport and learn that sport mm-hmm. and uh and and I learned things about how to teach my horses how to know the rules of show jumping don't don't touch the fence go down to it and and, uh, and jump it relaxed and and uh, be able to turn and go to the next one
5: mm-hmm.
3: and not knock yeah. anything down and so if, if you can teach horses what their job is you've got a much better chance Everyone's wants to a little human error. but if you've done your job uh, and taught your horse what the rules are sometimes they can overcome that for us
1: mm-hmm. yeah. so i i know you've come out to flag us up a time or two uh, recently too but uh you have a little fun on the racetrack is that something you like to share
3: well yeah it, um A lot of times when we have, you know, we're doing horses uh, for jumpers. We do we do flat work and it's round and round in circles and it's lengthening the trots, shortening and and uh, some halts here and there, and we're always pretty pretty much in a a show ring condition, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you get you get the horse, sometimes they get a little built up energy and they're thinking, boy, I wish I could, wish I could run. I wish I could run. And then the rider say, no, you can't. And then it's, mm-hmm. I wish I, I want to go. You know, you can't. So we're always holding them back. So the horse gets to where he always wants to go. And so then you take him out onto a racetrack setting and you say, okay, let's just let you go a little bit. And the horse says, I want to go more. And then you say, okay, and you put the leg to him, you go more. And then pretty soon. After about a half a la- half a lap the horse is kinda of saying, Well wait a minute, whose idea was this? <laughs> I'd like <laughs> it to worked. slow it down. I'd like to slow it down a little bit. And so yeah. you can get you can get a, a little bit of uh a little bit of that always wanting to go feeling out mm-hmm. of the out of the horse by saying, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and go. And so it's a little almost a like reverse psychology on them there.
1: Yeah, that's right. But, but it, it the lets him be a horse. A horse, horse. Though, at
3: full speed.
0: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, like one that. of the things that amazed me about our last triple crown with this justify horse is that Mike Smith, the jockey said when he was standing in the gate, well, and he was number one. So he was the first one in the gate while they loaded the rest of the horses. He said, I got to think this horse is too relaxed. He's just standing here like he's just going to stay when the gates open. He might not even go. Mm-hmm. And he said about that time, the gates flew open and bam, he was on the lead. And it's the relaxed horse that can really operate as an athlete. It's not the horse that's trying to dance around on his toes that necessarily gets the job done. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was proud of that because uh, I have globally worked to try to get people to break slowly. And the horse will learn to break fast, easy enough, but get him relaxed and then he can break fast because all four are on the ground and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's a lot of commonality in all of these things and, uh, uh, some of our events pay more than others, but, uh, yeah, justify is probably worth about 60, $70 million now, but we, we think the world of our horses that are worth considerably less than that is just a matter of trying to get them to, to be the best in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I appreciate you sure. both. I, I, you know, I think I, what I'm hearing is a commonality of of trying to help the horse understand his job, uh, and what we're trying to impart, and and us also turning around and understanding him better, learning from him uh, to be inspired to ride, and and um, I, I love that in both of you.
0: I just want your listeners to know, Will and I are going to get together on Monday. Here we are sitting on Thursday, and we're going to get together on Monday, and. Um, Both of us are willing to share our findings with the horsemanship world, so stay tuned because we may come up with something. And I've got something to show Will when he's here that he'll get a kick out of uh, about coming together with animals uh, in a partnership. It'll be fun.
1: I love it.
3: Look forward to it.
1: Good. All right. You're going to have fun, Will. (laughs) I promise. I I know what it is that he's big, mysterious about, and you're going to love it. All right. Well, thank you both for being on Horsemanship Radio and sharing so much about your love with horses. And congratulations, both of you, what you've been doing,
4: and especially timely, Will.
3: Thank you very much.
4: My pleasure. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths waiting for the outcome. And it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out, relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized. And everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallo's are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Tad Coffin and his
1: family live on their farm outside Charlottesville, Virginia. Tad grew up on New York's Long Island and started riding at age 10 in the Pony Club, fox hunting and competing in equitation, junior hunters and jumpers too. His interest in combined training developed in high school, and he was selected for training at the USET in 1973. Riding the mare, Ballycore, Tad won individual and team gold medals at the Pan American Games in Mexico in 1975 and repeated his success at the Montreal Olympic Games the following year. Turning professional, Tad developed his business teaching and training, and as a coach, his Area 1 Young Riders team won three consecutive individual and team gold medals. A quest for improved saddle performance led him to an extraordinary period of research and development. For Tad in the early 1990s. Well, welcome, Tad Coffin. I'm so excited and honored to have you on today. Are you calling us from outside uh, Charlottesville, Virginia today?
5: Yes, I am. And it's a beautiful day here in Virginia, in central Virginia. Lovely.
1: It's a beautiful part of the world. We're so fortunate to have you. Cut uh, a little piece of your day out today and um, introduce you to our our listeners of horsemanship radio, who, um, there's a lot of us that are more mature than some of the kids riding horses today. And we remember the evolution of your career really well and, um, are just excited to talk about how somebody has been able to keep horses in their life, their whole life at a very high level. And, and really you've been changing the horse world in your own way all these years. And we wanted to catch up with you.
5: Well, I appreciate that. It's been uh it's been a privilege to be involved in with this magnificent creature for all of these years. And like your father, I've I've tried to spend a lot of my time understanding what horses need and require and that's led me um in, in all of the different directions I've gone in over the past forty years.
1: So you you came up in a pretty diverse amount of dis- disciplines I see that you were involved in pony club and fox hunting and then equitation hunter jumper do you think that was an important part of your learning uh, to be an equestrian
5: I think it was critical mm-hmm. I think that it's one of the things that too many riders are missing out on today and I think that when you have a, a broad spectrum of, of disciplines in your background it helps you to understand the universality of Many of the characteristics of both the ridden horse and the horse's psyche, and I think that um, when 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 we develop one one discipline and from the beginning zero in on that, I think we miss out on a lot of very important de- developmental understanding that comes from being exposed to a, a, a more diverse background.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It, you're you really had a meteoric career though, um, from high school to your, some of your greatest achievements, uh, within, you know, those five, 10 short years, do you think that, um, that, that was because you had done all that groundwork or do you think that, that you, you got really lucky with some really great horse flesh under you or how did that go?
5: No, I would, I would characterize it a little bit differently. First, I've had the opportunity to have extraordinary instruction. In my in my lifetime, I, my my earliest mentor was a gentleman who lives in, and still works on Long Island by the name of Raul De Leon, and perhaps one of the most talented teachers I've uh, I've ever known, and and I got a, a, a start with him, which was fantastic. He was he was uh, came from Cuba at the age of twenty, and came to to uh, just got out really um, from Cuba at the time Castro came in so he was he was without a out of home and got started and came to the new york area and i was 10 or 11 at the time and started riding with him and rode with him really all through my junior years and he was just uh he, he was and is an exceptional uh teacher and then obviously going from there to be able to work with jack lagoff at the at the uset was mm-hmm. You know, yet a, yet an, another miracle. Because when you think of the opportunities that that people have today in terms of of instruction, you know, there you 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 would be hard pressed to come up with that kind of of education. Um, and and you know, I got to ride four or five times a day with Jack Lagoff, who I consider one of the greatest horsemen the world has ever seen, and. You know, I was able to do that day in and day out for four years, and it cost me nothing. You know, it, it, I, I got free room and board, um, you know, paid a little bit for my horses. I was given horses to ride. You know, where can you find that kind of opportunity in the world today? You can't. Mm-hmm. So it was it was extraordinarily fortunate. Um, and and I think that one of the greatest parts of all of that was that Jack O'Goff really believed in in my abilities and the abilities of this mayor that I rode, despite some some fairly uh you know auspicious beginnings, uh, but because he was he was a believer, I, I mm-hmm. think that the result was that we we ended up having more success than uh, than one would one ought to have at that <laughs> earlier point in your life,
1: but it was a positive it it um it must have set the bar very high for you, but you then you went back to back. You went Pan American Games in '75, and then Montreal Olympic Games the following year. Um, did your head explode, or did you feel like horses kept you grounded?
5: No, I think I think Jack Lagoff had a very good way of keeping you humble, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so did the horses. You no, know. so, there was no there was no worry about about having a swollen head. When when you rode with Jack
1: Lagoff, that was not going to happen. Uh huh. Yeah, you were just so young, but but you were. uh, People should go back and see the video. We'll put uh, links in the show notes for this. But you looked great in the saddle. You. you, I mean, you didn't have sticky pants back then, (laughs) and I just I encourage people to go watch your your winning. Video, it's, it's still, it's a little grainy, but it actually looks really good from 75 and 76. And I'm so glad for video to have let's, back then. Let's but, just
2: say that uh, George Morris will be proud.
1: He would be super See, the, proud. The You're stereotype
2: of the right. event or looking like a sack of potatoes did not apply back then. No. And that was well, one well, of, that was one like of that. Jack LaGoff's strong suits too, I think, in that he understood the importance of form follows function.
5: Mm-hmm. You didn't just get absolutely. the job done. You I
2: mean, Looking good getting the job done meant you get a, got the job done better. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
5: that's 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 beautifully put. And I think that, you know, when you think of the the background that Jack LaGoff had, you know, he was he was the um, one of the youngest leaders that the cadre noir ever had. And and, you know, so so when you think about what he was doing at, at 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 my age, he was training horses in high school, dressage and all of the years above the ground and at the same time competing in show jumping Racing, three-day eventing, and dressage—it's—it's a—it's a remarkable thing. So whatever diversity I have in my background, you know, his was exponentially greater, and that's just a—that's just a gone, a bygone era, which is, which is unfortunate. Uh, but with that came a real understanding of, again, of the the, the horse, the, the horse's physiology, the universality of yes. of so many characteristics of of horsemanship and Um, of course physiology across disciplines and Mm -hmm. that's been a gift that i feel i've been given which now it's it's been my responsibility to do something with that so you know that's why right after the olympic games instead of continuing a, a competitive career for much longer it was really my um i was really compelled to do my part to give back to the sport in whatever way i could
1: Mm-hmm. And you sure have and, and are continuing to, uh, as we mentioned in your introduction, that you developed your your business teaching and training, but you also began to develop or you had a quest for an improved saddle, an improved saddle performance. And that has led to some really breakthrough research. And uh, as I was telling Jen earlier, I was geeking out on your on your results that you're getting from uh, the manufacturing process that you have in these saddles. So I would, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you've, with uh, some of the breakthrough ideas, what you're still learning and where you're taking that.
5: Well, I think that the, uh, my involvement with saddles is just taking it back away. It started right after the Olympic games when mm-hmm. I was asked to endorse a saddle for a company called Miller's, uh, miller miller harness company which was you know the sort of the dover saddlery or the um uh, smart pack of the of, of the day and very early on i got a chance to be in a saddle manufacturing operation in england and to see how saddles were made and up until that point i knew no more about saddles than than anybody else did and it was a little bit of an eye-opening experience because i um, you know, where you, when you go to places where saddles are made, they're often very industrial in nature. There aren't horses around, and you know you think of this piece of equipment as being so important to the horse. And then when you're involved with sort of the manufacturing side, you realize how unhorse-centric it yes. can be. Right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of language associated with you know the saddle being this and that for the horse but when in in reality it it wasn't so that was that was the beginning of a of, a, of an eye-opening process and one of the things that I recognized early on in my in my teaching and training um, is that oftentimes we're asking a horse to carry himself or move in a particular way and you know the the, the, the riders riders and horses seem to have a great deal of Struggle associated with accomplishing that and and at some point you you recognize that that the the saddle is actually getting in the way it's discoloring the whole relationship between horse and rider, mm. and that there needs to be something there needs to be something better and because I've had some some background in the in the industry, and I have a little historical of what saddles have have or how they've evolved or not evolved it's it's clear to me that you know in a in an era where sports equipment of all kinds was being revolutionized and mm-hmm. you know new materials and new designs and new everything were being brought into tennis rackets, golf clubs, right. skis, you name it you know the the saddle was actually totally left behind. and not only that, but one would think with all of the billions of dollars that we're that we are spending worldwide in the in in the horse industry there has never been to my knowledge a serious study of the saddle as a piece of equipment you know where you would take you would take a rider and you take a group of horses and you take some engineers and some scientists and you lock them all up behind a chain link fence and say don't come out of here (laughs) until you have come up with something better And if it takes, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, you know, we're going to we're going to move this piece of equipment forward. Well, you know, you you can you can verify this for me, but I have no knowledge of any equestrian organization of any kind anywhere in the world that has ever supported such a such a study, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty interesting thing. So we're riding. You know, I've got some uh, some equipment that goes back a little over hundred and fifty years. And you can see how the insides of a saddle have not only not really evolved, but how the insides of the saddles have in many ways from the horses standpoint devolved. Mm-hmm. And and they have been replaced with with structures that are easier to manufacture, can be manufactured more quickly, more efficiently, mm-hmm. you know, you can get more of them out the door. In a given amount of time, um, but they've lost their they've lost their horsemanship. They've lost their horse sense. They've lost mm-hmm. their basic understanding of relationship with the back of the horse. So what I've tried to do, and it wasn't what I had originally set out to do, but uh, what I've tried to do is is uh, dedicate my my uh, life to coming up with something that's that's better. And mm-hmm. so as a consequence, we we, we have a we have a, um, a sort of a setup which is really ideal for research and development. There are a group of horses that are dedicated in our barn, the five horses. Um, and for 25 years, we've kept a group of horses that do nothing but test my ideas on saddles. They don't leave the property. They don't show. They don't compete. They're not clouded by you know, having to go off the property and and, mm-hmm. and do something.
1: That's so, so interesting. I I, I don't you know, know that's, anybody has ever done anything like that, not over such a length right. of time, too. W- within the constraints of time, I, I know we're going right. to have to have you back as a series, I think, <laughs> Mr. Coffin. But um, can you tell me a little bit about the, uh, oh, you know, you've, you've talked about the neurological benefits of some of this research that you're doing. And um I, I know it's hard to do it in a thumbnail, but these negatively charged electromagnetic fields that are impacting the nervous system, um, specifically the vagus nerve, I think, as you were right. talking about, and the parasympathetic nervous system, of course, just tease us with that a little bit if you could, because it must be a sure. science project. Well, it, it
5: gets it gets into a little bit of quantum physics. So okay. hold on to your hat.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. We're ready.
5: <laughs> so I'll give it I'll give it to you in the in the in the most concise thumbnail I, I can. So we use some materials in the tree, one of which is carbon fiber, and we we put these materials together in the process of making a saddle tree, and the result of that is the creation of a piezoelectric phenomena, which means that the combination of these materials together with the process that we use creates a very low micro voltage ongoing charge, if you will. Okay. So that's a piezoelectric phenomena is, is something that exists in nature. And it's, it's, it's usually when you take crystals of some sort and you put them under pressure, that's not exactly how we've, done it but but this is and this was not intentional this happened really by accident but but we've managed to 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 harness so the combination of materials one of which is carbon fiber is is creating this piezoelectric phenomena and the charge is essentially stored in one of the materials in the in the saddle tree and emitted as an electromagnetic field now you know people think of electromagnetic as as being something negative uh, in, in some of the discussions today. But, you know, electrom- electromagnetic energy is essentially the entire light spectrum. Mm-hmm. So right. what, we, what we believe is, is happening is that this satellite emitting an electromagnetic field that's somewhere in the 3,000 nanometer far infrared spectrum. My goodness Okay so if, I, I hope I haven't lost you, I got you. But, <laughs> I
1: but you got me. That, anyway.
5: But the, here's the important thing. There have been a lot of studies about the, the very positive and uh, the benefits of infrared, uh, infrared energy. And so this infrared energy, which again is in the far infrared spectrum, is having a lot of very beneficial um, uh, effects. On not only the horse's uh, level of relaxation and their their cardiovascular system, but it's also having an effect on their digestive system, their their mm-hmm. lymphatic system. Basically, the horse's entire well-being, because this energy is uh, at a cellular level important to to optimized functionality uh, of 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 all of these systems. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting stuff. It's not, it's not the only thing that's interesting about our, about our saddle, but it's certainly a a real paradigm shift that you can actually put a saddle on a horse. And not only does it not create back pain, but in 20 minutes it can mitigate back pain and it can create a whole different relationship between the horse and the rider because horses just enjoy being ridden. And one of our tests, to make sure that everything is working well is that at the end of the ride they don't want to go home and that is a remarkable paradigm shift you know we're always used to horses taking us back to the the barn In fact, you know we count on that if we're out in the boonie somewhere and we get lost the horse will take you home well if you're riding my saddle the horse might not take you home
1: (laughs) (laughs) you might lose that ability well what what i loved about seeing some some of the videos was, was the, the obvious licking and chewing and the relaxation and the eyes, you know, drifting off. And to me that, you know, is a, an honest horse telling you that he's out of pain. And we, we do a lot of that, uh, where, where we're working is watching right. a horse's reaction to whatever we're um, whatever environment we're in. And, and a lot of people are getting more cognizant of that. I think as horsemen, uh, even us laymen are watching jaws tense or not, or relax, um, heads dropping, licking and chewing, of course, and eyes and rigidity of ears. And, um, but pain is one of those things. It's probably one of the more obvious things to read in a horse. And, Obviously, when we put something up on their back and a lot of weight on top of it, that's us, um, you, can, you, can, you should be looking for that pain. And that's what I'd love to know more uh, about this from you. And I would love to know what you're, um, what you're finding. And uh, do you think you've reached the end of this research or are you, are you going to evolve it further?
5: You know, I, I, I've said way too many times that we've reached the end and I've always been proven <laughs> wrong. So I would say that we're 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 in a a place right now where we really understand the physics behind what's going on and I think that that part is very is very certain what we're finding which is so interesting is that the same characteristic that's in the saddle has benefits for the rider as well so riders that have back pain of which you know there are many are experiencing the same benefits when they're riding in the saddle we have some um, riders who, you know, are are, are more mature as you <laughs> as you put it, and have a lot of you know, have a lot of aches and pains and they find that when they ride in the saddle, those aches and pains go away in the same way that they go away for the wood. So that that's oh, particularly
1: that's interesting. That's particularly
5: too. interesting. And there mm-hmm. there may well be, you know, in the same way that in in the same way that your father has worked on, you know, the language of horse and the language of humans is not that far apart. You know, we, we operate on many of the same, uh, principles. And I think that the science behind this discovery is, is seems to be having a a crossover effect with with humans as well as horses. So Mm. that that we're particularly excited about.
1: Nicely said. Yeah, I agree. Um, the horse, industry is one of the toughest ones to change that paradigm shift in no matter if it's uh, behavioral training issues or if it's equipment. we just have such a long tradition. um other industries, you and I've talked about flying, you know, other industries are so new to our world. the internet is so new we don't have those um, traditional muscle memory of of tradition to to worry about, you know, people just flow with new ideas like crazy. This one is a harder, you know, the the horse industry is a harder one to change minds on, but I believe you're changing some minds out there and I would love to have you back to learn more.
5: Well, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about it more uh, because it's really, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. And to think that, you know, I think of this piece of equipment that we've used for so many years can actually be completely switched around so that, so that it's it's accruing so many positive benefits to horses. It's really an exciting, exciting beginning.
1: Yeah, that is, that is. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's so exciting to have an Olympia, you know, a gold medalist in anything on my show, but it is wonderful to share you with so many horsemen out there who just want their horse to be comfortable and happy uh, and to, to uh, have a relationship with us that is a positive.
5: Well, thank you. Uh, Thanks, too. It, was, it was a pleasure, and we'll hopefully do it again.
1: Thank you. We will.
4: Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
4: Leave this world a better place than murder. The magic in.
6: Dear Monty. I recently acquired a six-year-old mustang mare. I was told she trailered well, but she walked right up to the trailer and stopped. She did not scared, but when we tried again, she went right up, stopped and sat with her rump right on the ground. We chuckled about it and then after a few seconds, she snorted, got up, and walked right in. She does this every time. While this doesn't hurt her, it would be nice if she would walk in without sitting first. Any suggestions would be helpful. I do not know much about her past. She is a rescue. Monty's answer. It sounds as though you could have a very funny act on your hands. She is obviously quite stressed about the prospect of loading and traveling. This could be the result of negative experiences in her past. To assist her... You will need to repeatedly to create situations that will be comfortable so as to reduce the stress level by reinforcing in her mind the belief that trailers and travel can be safe and comfortable. Apparently, your mare has figured out how to control the situation. I would school your mare to respect the duly training halter. Once this is accomplished, she will choose to load without sitting down. The dually halter is designed to allow the horse to train itself to come up off the halter willingly when a request is made. There is a specific set of procedures that must be accomplished before the horse is likely to act in a cooperative manner. My Equus Online University and DVDs describing procedures are extremely helpful, but there is no substitute for practice in becoming proficient with any piece of equipment with which you attend to train a horse. I often say that the dually halter is no better than the hands that hold it, and the way to get the hands better is to have them practice its use. I recommend strongly that every horse person work with easy cooperative horses before progressing to those more difficult. As one becomes better with the easy horses, each procedure will tend to educate both you and your muscles to make the right moves in order to achieve the desired result. For more of these insights into good
1: horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, get free horse tips. Hi, I'm Monty
0: Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com.
6: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on
4: here?
2: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in July twenty-three through August three. We have our Gentling Wild Horses courses. That's two weeks at Flagstaff Farms in California, and then August six through ten, we have a Monty special training at Flagstaff Farms. That's five days. It's an auditor's course with a little bit of hands-on with Monty all week. And then August twenty through twenty-four. We have the same kind of event, although the horses will be different, and that will be in Portuguese for our Brazilian and Portuguese friends. Uh, that's a Monty special training, again, at Flag is Up Farms.
2: And if you couldn't commit all
1: of that to memory,
2: you can find out that and so much more at MontyRoberts.com, or you can call the folks over there at Flag is Up Farms, 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, as well as lots of other shows, you can find it all at HorsemanshipRadio.com. There we'll have links, photos, and more information about our guests. And we love your feedback. We want to hear from you. Go to Facebook and type in Monty Roberts, and then click on the one that has the little blue check mark next to it, because that's the official page. And once you've done that, go on over there, listen to some of our shows, and then type in there what you think of them, how much you love them, guests maybe that you would like to hear from, or topics that you'd like to hear us talk about. Or if you're one of those people who likes to live your life 150 characters at a time, you can also follow Monty on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. How clever. Don't forget the app. Oh, that's right. You got to get the app. The easiest way to (laughs) listen to the Horse Radio Network programming, including Horsemanship Radio, is on the Horse Radio Network app available for iPhone as well as Android. Go to your app store and just search Horse Radio Network. It's free and easy to use. Uh, you can tap on it and tell it to to download specifics shows down to your phone, or you can hit the all button and you'll get them all, and you'll have plenty to listen to on your long and boring commutes to and from work. You can also <laughs> to the barn to the barn. Uh, you can also subscribe via iTunes or your favorite
1: podcatcher. And I have some little update news, too, oh boy. that we, we won at the AHP an infographic award, which all that means is we put out a, a, this little visual that says how to listen to a podcast. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you all are listening to a podcast, so I assume <laughs> you know how to get here, but... But share it with your friends. So if you want to help us out, share that with your friends who say, "What's a podcast? I don't get these podcast things." Can I get it on my car radio? No. So well, maybe these days you can feed it maybe. through your car radio. But help your friends out and let them know at the barn, uh, or you know, print that little podcast "How to New to Podcast." It's called "New to Podcast," and print that out and let them know, or send it to them through email, the old-fashioned way. Ha ha ha. There we go. And old-fashioned me- <laughs> email. Yeah. <laughs> Emails old fashioned. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. Want to get that in? Omega Fields, Cavallo Hoof Boots, and Monty Roberts University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.